Um, imagine that you are aged between about eight and ten years old, and this will be a scream. Um, this is me. Um, I don't know how many of you know me, and um, uh, I, I feel on my first Sunday that it's helpful to introduce myself. I'm Sam. That is quite literally the best photograph I could find of myself um, on Facebook. Um, and um, I'm going to introduce myself by means of showing you three things that I love dearly. Now, this caused a riot in the first service. Um, this is my wife, Jen, not Mary, Queen of Scots, as was um, answered by a little ruffian. So, Jen, many apologies, um, but that's, uh, this is my wife, Jen, who's just sitting over there. Um, I love Jen. That makes a lot of sense. Um, why she married someone who looked like the screen above is a question for another day. This is Jen. I love Jen. The third thing I like, or I love, is pizza. To be fair, I like any kind of food. Um, pizza is just... I, I do love pizza more than most food, but I'm not picky. Pizza, and the third thing I love is watching films. Now, I really enjoy watching films. I really enjoy pizza. I, I, I love being with Jen. Incidentally, I love Jen a lot more than two of those put together. Disclaimer. Um, and um, though I really, really love all of them together. And when they are put together, when I'm, when I'm with Jen, when I'm eating food, watching a film, I am incredibly happy. Um, and... Uh, that's pretty much me. I'm a very simple person. Um, very undemonstrative. Okay. But I want you to try and guess what kind of films I like. We did this in the first service. This was really good. The kids were remarkable. I can't believe they got some of these. This is our game. Guess what kind of film Sam likes to watch? And we're going to do this by means of showing you characters. You're going to see some characters, and, and their faces are blacked out, and you've got to guess who they are. And at the end, you've got to tell me what kind of film I like to watch. It is that simple. Okay. If you don't shout out, it's going to be really awkward. So I'd like it if some people did. Okay, let's go to the next one. Brilliant. This is an easy one. Starter for ten, if you will. Thank you very much. Well, then you're the back. Superman. Brilliant. Right, the next one's a bit harder. Does anyone have any ideas? Brilliant. Well done. Black Widow. From the film... Oh, well done. Okay. I'm an all... Yeah, good. Okay. Let's look at the next one. What do you think? Quite hard to see. Shall we do a next reveal? So I reveal the next uh... Iron Man. Brilliant. Uh, excellent. Very, very good. I'm really impressed. This one. Thor. Marvelous. And this one's quite dark. So can any of you get it from that? That is quite dark. You can't really see it. Let's show the next one, Simon. Captain America. Captain America. I'm really impressed. I've got loads of these. This is going to be a great... Okay, this one. Shrek. Brilliant. Ta-da, one of my favorite films of all time. I love these kind of films. I don't know if you can see the link. The link is, of course, superhero. I realize that Shrek really isn't a superhero, but he does, he does save someone. And um, three very simple reasons I like films, I like superhero films. One, the baddies always lose. Two, the goodies always win. And three, um, someone is always being saved. And uh, especially the Avengers. I love the Avengers films. And I like the fact they work together, they have incredible power, they do a lot of saving. The Avengers especially, they always end up saving the Earth. It's all very dramatic. It's all very good. And as amazing as all these are, there's obviously a greater story. There's a better rescue mission that we're going to be looking at. And that's the one that we're going to be taking through. It's such a big mission that we were talking to the kids earlier. It takes, it takes four whole books in the Bible to tell. And it's really important that you know that. So this, this rescue mission is, is the fundamental start of how we know who God is and what he does. This is really important, really important biblical theology, the great rescue mission. 
And as you know, our story starts in slavery. In slavery, this great rescue mission starts in slavery. We have two groups of people. We have the Hebrew people, the people of God, who are chosen by God, who are descendants of Abraham, very important. God has picked Abraham to be the father of a new nation, a nation that God is going to call his own. So the Hebrew people have God's mark on them. He is their own. But they are stuck in Egypt. And they are under oppression from the Egyptians. They used to live in harmony at one time when Joseph and his brothers came to Egypt, but that's been long forgotten. And uh, the Hebrew people are enslaved to Egypt. It's not great. And it's so bad, over so many hundreds of years, that the people of God cry out to God and ask him to save them. Now, we're going to be looking at one particular passage, I am anyway, today. And this is really important. This tells us the heart of God. And this is our first bit. What does God do about the position of the people in Egypt? What does he do about their slavery? Well, he looks at them and he says this in Exodus 3. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Now, all this has packed with lots of very good language. I'm concerned. I know what is going on. I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them. This is showing who God is. God has function. God is able to look at his people and know what they are feeling. And this is what we are teaching the kids is a very important element of God in that God loves his people. What does this tell us about God? God loves his people. Very important. He sees them, he hears them, he hears their cries, and he loves them. His heart goes out to them. He remembers them, the Old Testament says. I have not forgotten my people. There is a problem. The problem is, that's great, but the people of God are still under slavery. So what does God do about that? What does God do next? Well, God decides to do something about it. He decides to do something about his people's situation. He chooses a rescuer, someone who is going to go up to Egypt and stand before the king of Egypt and say to him, God says you must let my people go. So that's what we have. We have the rescuer called Moses. This is Moses. And the king called Pharaoh. And this is exactly what Moses does. So so God meets Moses in the burning bush. And Moses is someone who has come from Egypt, living in the palace, and he has to go back and he has to confront Pharaoh. Okay, this is a tough gig for Moses. So Moses goes back and he does exactly what God says. And he says to Pharaoh, God says that you must let my people go. Now work with me for the next two slides. This is a lot of fun and it's really helpful. Pharaoh says, no. Pharaoh says no. And so then God turns around to um, Moses and says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to show how powerful I am. We're going to do that by um, turning the uh, water of Egypt into blood. Okay, a massive sign of God's power. We're going to turn the water of Egypt into blood, and then you're going to go back to Pharaoh. And Moses does that. He goes back to Pharaoh, and he says, "Um, Pharaoh, God says that you must let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. God turns around to Pharaoh and says, okay, um, I'm going to send another plague. I'm going to send a plague of frogs. And they're going to really annoy the Egyptians. And you're going to go back to Pharaoh, you're going to say the same thing. And Pharaoh turns around and he says, no. And then he sends Moses and to release a plague of gnats, thousands of gnats on the people. Still, Pharaoh says, no. And then there are flies, plague of flies. Still, Pharaoh says, no. And then there are other plagues. Um, plague of disease and dying on the animals. Plague of boils on the Egyptian skin. Plague of massive hailstones, plague of locusts, plague of deep, deep darkness. Now, all this is really important. 
Okay, this is a defiant man who is always saying no to God. And this is how powerful God is against Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is always saying no. Until we get to the very last thing that God does, and this is really important, this is very important. This is the crux of what's going on in the Old Testament. God warns the Hebrews, his own own people, that he is going to send an angel to take the firstborn of all who are living in the land. He says to his people, what I want you to do is I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to um, sacrifice it, and I want you to um, use its blood and paint the doors um, of your houses. So that when the angel of the Lord passes over, it will know that you are God's people and that you are protected by that uh, lamb's blood. And that night, many Egyptians were taken because they were not protected by the blood of the sacrificed lamb. As we know, at that point in the morning, Moses goes back to Pharaoh and he says, God says that you really must let my people go. And then Pharaoh says, go. Now, God has won. This is great. This is a, this is a lot of text detailing God's incredible power and just how far he is willing to go for his people. Just how far he's willing to go to save them. The people of God were now free to go. Um, God has won. God was more powerful than Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Moses was able to take the people out of Egypt and lead them all to safety. But there is another problem. Two problems. One, Pharaoh changes his mind and goes after the people of God. And two, there's a massive sea between uh, F- uh, Moses, who is leading this enormous group of people um, to safety, what does God do next? Well, as we know, God displays his power one more time through Moses by parting the sea. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, when we're looking at this from a kid's perspective. We know these stories well, but we, do we really know what's going on behind them? It's not just that, 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 that um, God, is, God is big necessarily or God is powerful. It's that this is how far he goes to love his people. This is extraordinary stuff. And sometimes we need to think like a kid to really get what this looks like. Can you imagine if you were standing there watching this going, this is what my God has done for me. And all the way through the Old Testament, you get references back to this scene. This is the God who led us out of Egypt and brought us across the Red Sea. This is how important this part of the Bible is to the rest of how we know God works. So as the people are saved, they're brought through, um, God has won. But let's go back to our Exodus passage. What does this tell us about God? How does this tie up into God's character? Let's look at this again. Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And he goes on to say, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. Now, can you see, this is very important. It is not merely that God loves them. It is not just that he loves his people from afar, but he is intimately involved in actually doing something about their suffering, and he saves them. God loves his people and he saves them. This is really, really good stuff. This is what we know about God. God loves his people and he saves them. But we do have a problem. And the problem is that the people of God are now without a country. They're they're, they're nomadic. They don't live anywhere. They don't have a home. They don't have anywhere to call them, to to, to call home. They don't have any, anywhere to keep them safe. And this is what God does next. He sets up leaders to lead them. He gives them the Ten Commandments. This is really important. This is a really important part of God's covenant heart, where God says, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to love you. And this is, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. 
This is how I want you to love me. This is how I'm going to protect you um, by you keeping these laws so that you won't be hurt. This is my covenant with you. And what's really important to know is that God has saved his people and done everything for them before he has given the law. That's the way covenancy works. It is love and grace and then law. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments, really important in the people's history. We know that they sin. We know that they're recalcitrant. We know that they keep going back into their old ways. And still God leads them, protects them, and guides them through his leaders and through the law. Many, 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 many years later, they're still wandering in the wilderness. Moses has died, and a new leader, Joshua, has come to the front. And uh, eventually, they are standing on the banks of the Jordan, and they are looking over what is the promised land, the land that has always been promised to the people, a land that will protect them, a land flowing with milk and honey. That means it's got incredible provision, a land that is built for this people. And it looks fantastic. The people come up and uh, they, they, they conquer the land slowly with, with Joshua. Um, God gives Joshua incredible strength of character and leadership. And they take over the, the lands that are there. And uh, they claim it as their own. God has brought them home. Really important stuff. Now, this takes a lot of time. We're looking at different books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all talking about how the people are growing in number, how they defy God, how they come back to him, how they come back in repentance, and also how they finally get to the promised land. God has not forsaken his people. God brings them back home. And if you were to go back to our passage, it's really important. Let's read this again. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of Egyptians, bring them up out of that land, and bring them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is salvation. This is exactly how God deals with his people. This is, this is his big rescue mission in the Old Testament. That is to pave the way for the whole of who the, the, the people of God were going to be. What the new Israelites, this is Israel, what the new Israelites were going to be. And as we look at God's character, as we read these three sentences together, we see that God has loved his people, God saves them, and God brings his people to the promised land. There's a real language of promise here. God has said he will do this, and he does do it. That is how the Bible is stacked. This is the first thing we see as we go through the Bible. As we look over time, as we look over history, this is what we have. God's loving his people, God's saving them, God's bringing them to the promised land. The big question is, what does this have to do with us? Well, thank you to our musicians. Thank you, Sam. Thank you very much. It was great to see in the earlier service the children many of them answering questions with a clear understanding of the Bible. We're very thankful in the church to those who teach our children. It's good for us as we split across different services, uh, those of us who come to this service, really to pray for those who teach them and for the children. Ian Devereaux, who leads our Sunday club, um, has a very clear vision for the work amongst children, and that is to get the children to see that what they are taught week by week is not something their teachers want to tell them. What they are taught is to trust this as God's Word to them. And so they open the Bibles, and so they read the Bibles. One of the other things they are really keen to teach the children is not simply Bible stories. They have the challenge of telling them that Bible stories are true stories, but not just to leave it there, 
to teach them what uh, people like me called the theology behind the stories. And all theology means is what it means about God. So behind these Bible stories to teach the children that God loves them, God saves them, and God brings them home to a promised land. That is the story of the Bible. And in the Old Testament, and let me just quickly recap what Sam said to us. Sam told us about a story of a great rescue mission in the Old Testament. A long story with lots of twists and turns, but a simple story about God loving his people, saving them, and bringing them to a promised land. It is written in our Bibles, in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That brings you to the threshold of the promised land, and then Joshua. We're really keen to teach our children good Bible theology. Sometimes, I think as adults, we don't have as good a grasp of Bible theology as we could and should. And so the simplicity of this is in truth, and I'm sure you'll have been struck by that as Sam taught us, is profoundly helpful and true for us. But what does it mean for you and me today? What does Exodus to Joshua mean for us? Well, the story of God's great rescue mission that Sam told us points forward to the greatest rescue mission ever. There are two ways of thinking about the relationship of the Old Testament to the New, but really more importantly, there are two ways of thinking about God in history then and then God in history when his son came. And either as a picture that points us forward, or I think slightly better and sharper than that, a signpost. The great rescue story that the Bible tells of how God loved and saved and brought his people to the promised land then is a signpost that points us not to another great rescue story, and there are, between Joshua and Matthew, other great rescue stories in history, but it points us forward to the last and greatest rescue story, the greatest rescue mission ever. Now, here is perhaps the most familiar verse in the New Testament. And yet this verse in the New Testament captures the plot line of all of the great interventions of God in history to love, to save, to bring his people home that pointed forward to this greatest of all rescue stories when God loved, saved, and brings his people home to the ultimate promised land. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's just leave that verse on the screen for a moment. When you see a verse like that, it's a fantastic verse about God's love 
God's rescue, God's bringing us home. But it's an even more powerful and even more fantastic verse when you see it in the orb of all that God has done since creation to show humanity that one day He will universally, to those who trust Him, bring them home. Sam mentioned how the children, when you hear a story like the parting of the Red Sea for the first time, are struck by the awesome sovereignty and majesty of God. And a verse like this captures all of God's heart to intervene in human history. Now, why does God rescue His people? Well, you remember in the rescue story that Sam told us that when God saw His people were in distress, His heart went out to them and He loved them. That was a little picture of, in a sense, God's heart for the world He created that was in need because it was in sin. And humanity that he created that was in need because humanity is in sin. And God looks at the world he created and humanity. And his judgment rests upon the world and humanity. But grace and goodness intervenes before judgment will fall. God loves us. So much that he wants to save us from the inevitable judgment. God looked at his people in slavery in Egypt and loved them. They were in slavery because they turned away from him. But he loved them. God looks at us in slavery to sin because we have rebelled against him. But he loves us and wants to rescue us. Remember our verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He created and all humanity. God sees our need, and He loves us. So what did He do? Now, never hear this. Never hear this as the A, B, C of the gospel, as the one, two, three. It is astonishing what God did. He so loved the world and humanity that he sent his beloved son, the Lord Jesus, if there is any vestige, if you are a Christian, of familiarity in your heart because of what God did, then marvel again at his gracious power and his goodness. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to live on earth, to teach us about the problem in our hearts, the problem of sin, and to rescue us from that sin to forgive us, to make us right with God. What do you see on the screen there? A globe. In the Old Testament history, one country, one people. Now every nation of the earth is to hear this message. Every person on the earth is to hear this message. God sent his Son to deal with our greatest problem, and that is in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The word gave is very important. It means God gave his Son to die on a cross 
to rescue us. Jesus' death on the cross, as you know, many of you, but never forget it or its power. Never forget that from the very moment of our rebellion, the first humans at creation, God knew in his mind that he would display again and again through history his love, his rescue, his leading us home, and one day he would do it for all of humanity. He knew that his son, at the moment we rebelled, one day would hang on a cross. So God loves us, he saves us, and he leads us where? I said to the children earlier, where is home for the Christian? And uh, a little boy said, heaven. And I said, well, that's the right answer, but not quite. Heaven is where your soul will go when you die, because that's where God is. Your home is not in the sky. Your home is on the earth that God created, that he will make new once again, where all humanity is reconciled to one another and reconciled to God. Where will God lead us to? The promised land. What is the promised land? In history, it was Israel. The promised land, in the end, is a new heaven's and a new earth, a promised world, a new creation without sin and sickness and tears and death. And that is some rescue mission. It is not a story, and it's about as far away as you can get. And you know what I mean by this from the ABC of the gospel. As it sounds, God loves us, he saves us, he leads us to the promised land where we'll live forever. But there's a, another little phrase in John 3.16 which you will know, and that is these little words, whoever believes in him. All God requires of us is that we say thank you for rescuing us. All God requires of us is we say we need rescued. All God requires of us is that we get our heads around the fact that we're in a sea in a storm and that as somebody in a boat who is ready to chuck a lifeline. All we need to do, as it were, is reach out and grasp it. And how profoundly sad it is that most of humanity put up their hands and say no. How thankful you and I need to be if we have said yes 
and how urgent is our task as a local church, along with every other local church in the world, to take this message to the globe, to every nation of the earth, that God loves humanity. God has sent his Son to save us. And the world in which we live is not home. There is a promised land before us. Now, that's biblical theology. And in a very simple way, I hope you and Sam and I have found, as we have wrestled with this to teach it, it enlarges our minds about the God that has saved us and rescued us.